So we've been taking some opportunities here on Wednesday night to defend our Lord. I hope that you look to God, to the Lord Jesus as, as a personal friend. That's the way the, the Lord wants it. You remember in James 2 and 23 that God calls Abraham a friend of, a friend of God. It's written in James that Abraham friend of God. That's exactly the way the Lord wants it. He wants us to draw close to Him. James 4, verse 7 and 8 says, Draw nigh to God. He will draw nigh to you. We can be a friend of God, but we, we defend our friends. And when things are said and done in, in opposition to the will of God, then it offends us deeply, personally. And we want to learn better how to defend our Lord. So this evening our focus will be on defending God's justice and mercy. And if you didn't receive one of these sheets, you can see our brother Mark bows for one of these. The avenue in which we will get into this is that, as we understand, in order to be close to God, and to be forgiven, every one of us must hear and obey the gospel. But God is sometimes criticized in the thought that what about those who have never heard the gospel and perhaps never will hear the gospel? Isn't that unfair? Isn't God being unfair if he has set up a situation where in order to be forgiven, in order to walk with him, in order to escape consequences of sin, then you must hear and believe and obey the gospel, but if there are those on this planet who never have that opportunity, then isn't that unfair? Isn't God being unjust? And so this is an important thought because, as Abraham said in Genesis 18.25, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? We believe in the righteousness of God. We believe that he does all things right and proper. And so, how do we address this? Now, some respond to this by saying, well, God will only judge people according to the knowledge they have at hand. He won't judge them if they've never heard the gospel. Then he won't judge them according to that. He'll judge them according to whatever religious knowledge they might have on hand at the time. If a Hindu or a Buddhist or some kind of ancient uh, Aztec religious uh, person uh, only has that particular kind of religious knowledge on hand, then God will judge them according to their response to that knowledge and not to their response to the gospel. Uh, that is not a correct response to this criticism of God. And so we must, we must look at Scripture and and reason things out the way God would want us to. 
To help us do that, I want to go through uh, these factors on your worksheet that will give us a basis of how to respond uh, to this criticism. So as we get started, I want to once again remind us that to be saved from our sins, we must hear, believe, and obey the gospel. But the criticism comes from the idea that perhaps there are some souls out there, honest souls, who have never heard the gospel, perhaps never heard of the Lord. So will they be judged? Will God judge them according to the gospel? And if so, isn't that unfair? Let's go through some of these factors. These are real basic, but it'll give us um, a foundation upon which to do some further discussion. Number one, all are sinners, as we know. All are sinners. And there is an exclusive plan from God uh, to save us from our sin. All are sinners. And we talked about that Monday morning with Mary and Elizabeth. Even those righteous ladies understood that they needed Jesus as Lord and Savior. And we all sin, Romans 3.23, we all sin. And there is an exclusive plan given by God uh, for that. I like to start, when you think about the plan, it, it begins with the nature of God. Because God is so holy that he cannot ignore sin. But he's also so loving and good and merciful that he doesn't want us to be lost in our sin. So there, from that he came up with a plan to save us. The only thing that would save us in accordance to the wisdom of God is a perf- the, the perfect sacrifice. For a sin. That could only be God himself, or as it turned out to be, the Son of God. So God's plan to save us starts with the nature of God, moves on to the Son of God, and then the plan to come in contact with Jesus' blood is the gospel of God. Nature of God, Son of God, gospel of God. But it's an exclusive plan. Acts 4 verse 12, you remember... Peter saying, there is no other name given among men under heaven whereby we must be saved. Only in Jesus can we be saved. Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, uh, the life. And so no man can come unto the Father except through Jesus. So that's, a, that's a foundational fact that we just remind ourselves of. And it does include obedience to the gospel. And we'll get into that a little bit later. Number two, number two, another factor involved in discussing this question or this criticism of God is that all can understand that God exists. Everybody on the planet can understand that God exists. And this knowledge should motivate everybody then to seek Him. That's a foundational factor in our lives. All can understand that God exists. Acts fourteen seventeen. God did not leave Himself without witness. But he did good and gave us food and fruitful seasons. So the very nature of God and that he is so good shows that he uh, exists. He's the one that created these fruitful seasons and the opportunity to give food. Psalm 19 verse 1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork. So through creation and through the goodness of God, everybody ought to be able to... uh, Notice anyone with any reflection whatsoever should be able to understand 
that there is this great power uh, that the Bible calls God. Romans 1 verse 19 to 21 explains that very carefully, that ever since the creation of the world, God's divine nature and his power and his attributes have been clearly seen um, from anyone who wants to uh, reflect upon it. And he even says there, Paul says there in Romans 1, verse 20, isn't it? That all men are without excuse. That's a very important little phrase there. Everybody's without excuse. And so everybody ought to be able to look around and understand that there is a God. There is the God. And they should seek to know him. Acts 17, 27. uh, Paul in um, his sermon at uh, Mars Hill in the city of Athens makes this very clear. He had talked about uh, the true God. They were serving a lot of idols. He talked to them about the true God that made heaven and earth and all things that are therein. This God cannot dwell in temples made with hands. Uh, seeing that he has, uh, he's not served with men's hands as though he, as though he needed anything. Okay. He's the one that created everything. He's the one that established all the nations and the boundaries of the nations. And so uh, even these men in Athens were expected to understand this and then seek after God and feel after him. Because he, he's there and available uh, for anyone who wants to seek after him. So that's factor number two. Factor number two. And then factor number three is the providence of God is at work. One of my favorite subjects. I know it's yours too. The providence of God is at work. John 7 verse 17. Jesus said. He reflected on the providence of God. If any man wills to do his will, John 7, 17. If any man wills to do his will, he shall know the teaching. I think that's, 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 I I have that bracketed off. I have a square around that verse in my Bible. I know the Lord will find a way for me. The providence of God is so powerful. It is the foundation of our faith. Jesus said in Matthew 5, verse 6, Blessed are those who do hunger and thirst after righteousness for what? Do what? They should be filled. That's right. They should, that's the promise. They should be filled. Okay, very similar to John seven seventeen. Jesus said, if any man wills to do his will, he'll be able to know what the Lord expects of him. And Jesus gives that same promise in Matthew 5, verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, they shall be filled. That's a promise from God. Also there in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, 7 and 8, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door shall be opened to you. If, if one comes seeking God, one comes knocking on God's door, there's a promise here that God will lead him to the truth. I believe that. I know you do too. So the providence of God is another factor in this discussion that we're having. Jesus talked about in Luke 8, uh, 15, in the, in the uh, parable of the sower, that what it takes is a good and honest heart. So that any good and honest heart that is sincerely seeking after knowledge of God and wanting to be right with him, Jesus says they'll find, they'll find their way to the Lord. So the providence of God is at work. Number four, there is a general and widespread opposition to the truth. That's what scripture teaches. There's a, there's a general widespread opposition to the truth. Turn over with me to Luke 13 right fast. 
Notice what Jesus says about this. Luke 13. Luke 13, 23. These are familiar words to you, but just as a review. 23. Someone said to Jesus, Lord, will those... Will those who are saved be few? Be few? He said to them, Strive, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able to. And it would be because of their opposition to the truth. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1 and 26, Not many after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble received the call from God. And so that's another factor involved in our discussion here as we think about um, the gospel going forward and who will, who will be able to hear it. Um, that is a factor that human beings have a tendency uh, to shy away from the truth. Paul speaks in 2 Thessalonians 2, 10 through 12 about the love of the truth and because many do not have the love of the truth then they will never be saved. Alright, so that's number four. Number five, God, on a regular basis, condemns idolatry. God condemns the worship of idols. You know Paul, God through Paul there in Romans 1. We were just there in verse 20, talking about how everybody's responsible before God. He says, many do not honor God, even though they see the creation. They don't honor God. They don't give thanks to Him. But um, professing themselves to be wise, they become fools. And they end up worshiping and serving the creature rather than the creator. And so understand that God everywhere condemns idolatry. Everywhere in the Bible and anywhere it's practiced on earth. So let's keep that in mind. That's what we're doing, just going through some factors that we need to keep in mind as we get further into our discussion. So there's a widespread rejection or opposition to the truth, and God on a regular basis condemns idolatry. Number six, no one can count on ignorance. Let's turn over to Acts 17. No one can count on ignorance, ignorance, lack of knowledge. No one can count on a lack of knowledge to save him from his sins. We've got to look at Acts 17 on this. Again, Paul in Athens, and coming down to about verse 22, he said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. You're very religious, Acts 17, 22. He says, For as I pass along and observe the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this, this inscription. And it said, To the unknown God. Then he said, what therefore you worship in ignorance, I proclaim to you. And that gave him a segue into talking about the true God. The true God. The one that made all the earth. And they should be putting away these idols and serving the, the true God. Okay. And so, uh, their worship of ignorance was not accepted. But then going down to verse 30, the same sermon Acts 17, verse 30. Paul says, The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now, 
It's different now. See? Different. But now, he commands all men everywhere to repent. And we always underscore the word all there and everywhere. That includes about everybody. We can safely say here that Paul does not uh, leave much wiggle room. That includes everybody. All men everywhere. If you are somewhere and you are a living person on this planet, then God commands um, you to repent. includes me, but it also includes uh, everyone else. So no one can count on ignorance to save them uh, from their sins. Number seven, man is not qualified to judge. We need to remember this because as we discuss this about God's justice and mercy, we remind ourselves that we certainly are in no place to, uh, to do the judging. God, God will handle the final judgment. And you know this. But these are just simple uh, reminders. Let's think about God's judgment for just a minute. We know it will be certain. There's no doubt it's going to happen. If we keep reading there in Acts 17, 30 and 31, God bases the reality of the judgment on the fact that Jesus was brought back from the dead. He's going to judge the world by him whom he raised from the dead. So just that certain. If we believe that Jesus died and rose again, then we absolutely believe that God has appointed a day. And he has appointed a day. So it's going to be certain. And of course it's going to be a righteous judgment because God is righteous. And several passages along there, and we're not going to look at all of these, but Romans 2 is a great place to study the righteous judgment of God. Romans 2, particularly verses 5 and 6, talks about the righteous judgment of God. So it'll be certain and righteous, but also for many it will be a dreadful time. Now, it's very important that we get this passage down. Turn with me to 2 Thessalonians uh, 1. It will be a dreadful time for many on, on the earth and for many who have lived on the earth. 2 Thessalonians uh, 1. And in your Bibles, you can see it. First, look at... 1 verse 5 has another reference for the righteous judgment of God. Paul says, This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God, for which you are also suffering. But notice verse 7. When Jesus comes again, he's going to come to grant relief to those who are afflicted as well as to us. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. That's 2 Thessalonians 1 verse 7. But also when he comes, verse 8, in flaming fire inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord. Notice the two classes of people there. Okay. To the ones, literally here, you could translate this, to the ones who do not know God and to the ones who do not obey the gospel. That, 
those, both of those classes of people will suffer punishment, eternal destruction away from the presence of God. Okay. And add to that uh, 1 Peter 4, uh, 17, where, uh, again, Peter leaves it where there's just not much speculation. He says, uh, 1 Peter 4, 17, The time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it first begins at us, what will be the outcome, what will be the end of those who obey not the gospel of God? So it's important to go back and think about the plan of God involves the nature of God, the Son of God and His redemptive work at the cross, and then the gospel of God. And that gospel of God must be obeyed um, for us to have our eternal security. So man is not qualified to do the judging. Only God is. We're not knowledgeable enough. We're not righteous enough. We have no right to say God ought to do this this way and not do it that way. When we come to this, then we are most respectful. Uh, we do not infringe on God's territory. Some people do, but I'm not going to do it. Now, all we can know is what God has given us to us, given to us in Scripture, and we're not going any further. I'm sure there are difficult issues. And you can bring those out if you, if you desire when it comes to the final judgment of God. But in the end, only he has the right uh, to judge. He will do it in the manner in which he says he will do it. And number eight, our task then is to simply present the gospel lovingly but firmly. No compromising. We can't compromise Neither on the conditions of salvation, which part of that plan, part of the obeying the gospel, of course, is the conditions of faith, repentance, confession, and baptism. We can't compromise on that. We can't compromise on the, the principles of godly living. We can't compromise on the truth of how to worship God. Our job is, our task is to present the gospel. God has given us that. Okay. So, let me stop right there and let's see what your response is. Going back to this initial criticism of the Lord that many do, um, many do with exasperation. They'll just say, well, there's no way that, that everybody in the world is going to be able to hear the gospel, so God has set something up that's just impossible, and so therefore I'm, I'm not going to believe in God. So what will your response be? How do these factors, how do these little facts we've gone over so far, how do, do, these, do these help us to work this out in our minds? For example, how will um, the fact that God always condemns idolatry, how, how does that, why is that an important factor? Men generally turn to idolatry. In fact, there's only really two 
two avenues in this world. It's either God serving and worshiping Him, or it's worshiping some sort of idol. It may be yourself, but it's worshiping some sort of idol. And so, that's important because God condemns idolatry of all sorts, all throughout Scripture, and everywhere on the earth. What other response might you have about this um, criticism of God? How does the providence of God help or hurt in this situation? Do you believe in the providence of God in the way that we talked about it here on this in our discussion so far? Do you believe in the providence of God? Do you believe that that if someone is sincerely seeking the truth that God will find a way for them to hear the truth? Yes, Mike's referring back to Acts 17. I think it's right at verse 27. Lest happily they should seek after God and feel after Him. So yeah, I think that is an implied reference to 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 the providence of God. Yeah, I think the Bible's answer to that is yes. Yes, I think from John seven seventeen, Matthew five verse six. I think if someone's sincerely seeking after God, then He'll provide a way. Provide a way. What do you think? Now the belief is that that if someone is seeking the truth with their whole heart, that they'll get introduced to the gospel. Now what they do with it after that is on them. Many people were exposed to Jesus during his lifetime, even plain miracles, but they didn't follow him. But being exposed to the truth is is the promise. God's not going to interfere with man's freedom of will. Once, but if someone's seeking to be exposed to what will bring them spiritual life, God, God through man's efforts, uh, I think he promises to make that happen. What do y'all think? Argue with me. It'll be fine. I think these phones are So even more and more today, it would seem that that this promise would hold true because so many opportunities 
but not just today, but even throughout history. Um, even ancient history, the promise holds. Jesus makes the promise in John 7, 17. First century. But you're very welcome to take another take another view. As Romans 1.20 says, by studying life, we should understand there is a divine power. But that takes a heart that is properly reflecting. We have a society that's grown up to here and now, like the sanctuary religion. And they either deny everything so they can do what they want to. And then when they fall flat on the face, they ask about God's help. At least many of them will ask. Yeah. We go back to the idea that only God can be the judge. And we know that in Old Testament times, God, through his different commanders, sometimes would wipe out a, you know, a whole group of people. Those people wiped out. Could we say that every single one of them in that group that was came under the firepower of God's people in those days, you think everyone in that group was ungodly? Well, we don't know how to answer that. God does, though. And on the final judgment day, he will, he will render the proper judgment. So we'll, we'll leave it to him to work out the uh, difficult issues that might arise, but we, we deal with what he has revealed to us. So, come back to Brother Paul. Brother Paul, were you going to say more about that? You said you know.
Well, he was exposed yeah. to the gospel. Will there be some good people who are lost? Mike's referring to Matthew 7, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father who is in heaven. Jesus even goes on there to say that those people will argue with him on judgment day and say, Lord, we did many mighty works, many good works, many mighty works. We even cast out demons in your name. did a lot of good things in your name. But then Jesus will look to them and say, what? Depart on every knee. Yeah. To me, I think some of these churches, like I said, they're, they think they're righteous, they think they're doing right, but it's going to be very bad when they get in front of him and he tells them to, to depart from the that they, he never knew them. They never had been saved. You know, it's, it's just been in vain what they've been doing for worship. It is possible to worship in vain. Jesus says that, Matthew. Uh, 15, 7 through 9. In vain do you worship me, teaching as your commandments the doctrines of men. Well, that would be a personal question. Paul's asking those of us brought up in the church, did we ever get to a point where we were seeking or did we just take it for granted? And that's a very dangerous situation. We need to be seeking. And that, that parents would need to instill that into their children, um, that they need to seek after the truth, seek after it for themselves, personal themselves. So that's a personal question, you know. Um, I think that may be, may be answered by a conversation you and I had one time about how many 
Yeah, Aaron. to something that does happen similar to what Paul's saying here being brought up in the church yet not seeking just taking things for granted he's bringing up the fact that I've shared with him that on a number of occasions I have baptized older people who've been going to church for years but they come to me personally and say look when I was younger I wasn't seeking like I'm seeking now I, I didn't understand I didn't have a full grasp Across the board, the cross, the plan, and so surely, yeah, we make our way quickly to the baptistry. Many times, I can I can call off several here in this congregation who have come to me for that. So it's important to have that personal seeking that takes place because you want to you want to be assured of your salvation. You asked him Paul's use of the world, the word world there in Colossians 1. Yes, what Rome has conquered. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, I don't know. I, I never really have thought about that. I've always just looked at it as world being the world. So, but, uh, anyway, good point there. Good passage there in Colossians 1, 5, and 6 as well. Um, I'll mention these last two factors here as we uh, talk further during our devotional time. Thank you so much for working through some of these uh, ideas. And certainly we're not, we didn't get through a full discussion of this, but I appreciate your thoughts. And hope it encourages us to realize how important Christ is to us in his gospel and to take God at his word and do that in a very respectful and serious way.